The Real Food Reel is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini, and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness, and optimizing your health, metabolism, and longevity. While you're tuning into today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In episode 236 of The Real Food Real, we teach you how to understand your menstrual cycle, balance your hormones, and manage PMS. We discuss the importance and details of salivary hormone testing, the impact of stress, especially on our progesterone levels and the subsequent amenorrhea that is often seen with chronic high cortisol, the role of the microbiome, how to balance your hormones with nutrition, lifestyle and herbal interventions, and so much more. As always, if you're looking for personalized one-on-one support and the right person to guide you, we're taking new clients at The Natural Nutritionist, and you can schedule a complimentary 15-minute consultation to see if we are the right fit for you. Head to bit.ly forward slash TNN online, and we can't wait to work with you. Hi, everybody. So in the last couple of weeks or months, actually, some of you may have noticed that there's been lots of discussion on preconception care, preconception nutrition. Um, And so in today's conversation, Steph and I wanted to almost take it back a step uh, and look at hormone balance, hormone control a little bit more broadly. So for those of you who are potentially looking at getting pregnant, this is going to be a relevant conversation. For those of you who are just wanting to understand your hormones better, it's going to be a relevant conversation. Um, And for the men listening with women in their lives, definitely share this conversation with those those people. So, Steph, we should probably start with the basics um, and get an idea of, you know, how do we understand our hormones? How do we test for our hormones? What does that look like? Yeah, yeah, it's a really great question. And I want to start with the basics so that everyone understands the actual process and and what that looks like. So in the clinic, we definitely preference salivary hormone testing. So I literally want to start with what that looks like because that might be a new term to some people. So if we're looking purely at reproductive hormones, 
we're collecting a sample between 6 and 8 a.m. or ideally within half an hour of waking. And if we know our regular cycle and we're aware of what days we track, then day 21 is the best day. If we don't have a regular menstrual cycle, then we would obviously do it on any day of the month. But my point is immediately the convenience of a salivary sample is very early in the morning. And for most of us, it's a very specific day of the month. So immediately there are some great practical and logistical benefits because if you miss that window because you can't get a doctor's appointment at 6am, which is very unlikely of that perfect day of the month, then we're waiting another 30 days. But the real point to to encourage salivary over blood hormone testing is because saliva measures what's bioavailable. So we know that the unbioavailable hormones in the blood don't pass into the saliva. So the saliva is literally what is bioavailable and what is actually impacting your physiology. So that's what is a really important for us to discuss because I think the Western medical model is that let's say your symptom is heavy bleeding or painful periods, likely you'll go to the doctor who'll who'll test blood hormones Mm -hmm. and there are some problems with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the problems are what you've just mentioned. You go into the doctor to get that referral from the blood test and often that individual then goes straight next door to pathology to draw the bloods on the day that they've got the referral from the doctor, which may be day two of their cycle. It may be day... 15 of their cycle. So mm. really hard to, to gauge accurately um, the, the hormones and for the sure. adequate balance. Yeah. So I want to talk about day 21 and why that's so important because if we split our cycle into two, we know that from day one, which is the bleed, which a lot of people don't know. I was just going to say, can you <laughs> highlight that for me? Yeah. So day one is the first day of your period. And then the first half of your cycle is known as the follicular phase. And that is up until ovulation, which textbook would say that occurs on day 14. You don't need to have a degree in nutrition or functional pathology to realize that not every woman in the entire world would ovulate on day 14, but it's that middle of the month which you can indicate um, or which you can notice by a rise in your core body temperature or your basal body temperature by over half a degree or the cervical mucus that you would be producing mid-month. The second half is our luteal phase, and that's where usually we're starting to see more of the imbalances which create the symptoms that are um, under the umbrella of PMS essentially. So I mentioned some earlier, whether it's um, painful periods or heavy bleeding. For some people, it's quite significant mood changes in that week four of the cycle. So the latter half of the luteal phase, it might be cravings, weight gain, fluid retention, a whole host of symptoms that would be PMS to, to summarize. Um, day 21. Yeah. Did you want to add to that as to what, why you like that day in particular in relation to progesterone? No, nothing to add. Yeah. So I just, I just love that it gives us a bit of a picture in terms of, the balance between those reproductive hormones. And we know that about day 21, we're looking for this peak in progesterone, which then really comes down on the other side. So in that week four of the cycle, 
which causes the bleed. It causes the shedding of the uterine lining. So we want to see that picture, that beautiful cycle, especially in that latter phase. And um, testing on day 21 gives us that that picture that we're looking at for optimal health and lack of symptoms. You know, in last week's episode or a few weeks ago, we spoke about um, that menstrual cycle being your report card for health. And I think that's something to reiterate because these PMS symptoms are so common, but they're not normal. Mm-hmm. So if you if you are experiencing PMS, like looking at potentially some salivary hormone testing can really unpack what's going on. So we're saying that the, the preference over that, that initial blood test that you might get done that, you know, the day you've gone to ask a picture around your, your hormone imbalance, um, we're saying that it's about being able to test via the saliva, which allows you to see the free and available hormones. One of the reasons I love using salivary hormonal profiling as well is because it sets you up really nicely to be able to profile other hormones. So not just the reproductive hormones, but a lot of labs will also tie in cortisol and DHEAS into that picture. Why might that be helpful for somebody? Yeah, I think that's a really important part. Like the reality is a lot of hormonal imbalance have stress as quite a root cause. So the chronic stress picture looks like a dysregulation in our cortisol production, which has a huge impact on progesterone especially, which is that key hormone that we need for the onset of a period. So the opposite is true in women that um, have amenorrhea, so a lack of a period, nine times out of ten it's low progesterone and very often one of the causes is stress. It's obviously multifactorial, don't get me wrong. And when we look at cortisol, we know it's a hormone that has a very distinct diurnal rhythm. So it's high normal in the morning. It starts to gradually decrease in line with the light. It's lowest at nighttime with an inverse relationship to melatonin, our sleep hormone. We have to measure it across the day because otherwise we're only getting a snapshot of that 6 to 8 a.m. sample, which is very unrepresentative of what the entire day would look like. Now, imagine having to go to a pathology lab to draw blood at 6 a.m., midday, 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. on one day. It's not happening. So saliva and the privacy of your own home, if you're looking to also add a cortisol profile, you're measuring at that first 6 to 8 a.m., midday, 6 p.m., and 10 p.m. So it is four samples to give us that what is hopefully a beautiful rhythm of your cortisol pattern, um, which unfortunately is not always the case when we get the results back in clinic. Mm. So you've done the cortisol profiling mm-hmm. before. You've Many done times. The, you've done the salivary <laughs> hormonal profiling, mm-hmm. um, as I have, and I thought it would be really important to perhaps just paint a little picture for listeners mm-hmm. today as to what that looks like. For because sure. um, I don't know about you, but I've had some pretty funny moments um, and also some tragic moments when it comes to hormone profiling. Um, So, you know, you are taking that test at four points over the course of the day and they're quite specific times for specific reasons as we've discussed, which means 
it is something you have to plan for. Um, so you aren't just stepping out of, you know, your consultation with your <laughs> physician or your practitioner and the next day going and doing your salivary testing. You've got to plan for the day of the month and you've got to plan and look ahead at what you're doing on that day. Um, the first time I did hormonal profiling, it was um, at work where I had back-to-back meetings and luckily I was very close with my colleagues at the time, but I literally sat there um, spitting into a test tube for about 15 minutes of that meeting <laughs> um, and then accidentally left one of the test tubes out of the fridge. So it was... Um, it, it was void. It, it was not viable. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So... I guess what are the yeah what are the take homes for listeners? Number mm-hmm. one is to plan the day accordingly, right? So the day of the month, if your practitioner has set aside a particular day, yeah, of course, and what you're doing on that day, yeah, like it, it takes fifteen minutes or more. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite a lot of saliva, and often, well, actually, unless it's a virtual client, I will show the client the tube and where the line is that you've got to spit up to, and most people are like, oh, whoa, that is a lot. So I'm like, yes, I'm telling you, you can't do it when you've got five minutes to get out the door for your run or to get to the gym or a Pilates class, especially for that first one, you're carving out time at home, usually, I imagine, Mm -hmm. Um, and you need to be setting aside a minimum of 15 minutes, and I would suggest that you've got a nice cookbook with you or a way that you can look at delicious food, which is a simple way to stimulate saliva production. Um, But you obviously want to be hydrated as well because if you're dehydrated, you'll have that mouth and you won't be producing saliva. And if you're stressed as well, Mm. if you are trying to run out the door, what happens when you're about to get on stage and talk? stressed you know you get that dry mouth and so you don't want to be stressed when you're trying to produce that saliva sample yeah totally that's a great point so carving out space which is part of the reason why we're having this conversation because it's it's the first time you do it it's new to everybody it's new which is why your story is quite funny because you look back now and think what a rookie but you were like we all were at one point in time you know we're all a beginner um at one point in time so then we think 12 o'clock all right what are we doing at 12 o'clock you know there are some parameters around, you know, what you can and can't drink on that sort of hour prior. Um, so you're not going to be doing it while you're eating your lunch or while you've just had a coffee and you obviously hopefully don't want to be in a meeting. So I always tell my clients in an ideal world, when you are planning ahead, you try and keep those times pretty free. It's not always going to be possible, don't get me wrong, I'm a realist, but if possible, you've got another 20 minutes at 12 o'clock. Um, 6 p.m. might be before or after dinner with that with that time on either side. Um, and then 10 p.m. is a, lot of, a bit annoying for those nanas in the room, myself included. Um, but if it's not bang on 10, you just write the time on the vial. So you write your name, your date, the date of birth, and what time you're testing. So that's really important. So often I get reports back from the lab with no name, like, we've worked it out or the lab has worked it out because it's been sent, you know, with whatever an address or on it or something like that. But we need to know the day of your cycle as well, because you might forget, especially if you don't have a cycle and you're you're not bound by that day 21, you have to have those details for your practitioner to be able to interpret the results properly because our reference ranges are different in that follicular phase at ovulation in the luteal phase and so on and so forth. So as much detail as possible, carving out space, um, being hydrated, managing your stress and looking at yummy food. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And then making sure you have a fridge to go and put that sample away mm-hmm. into after you've um, produced the sample. Yeah, very true. So storing it for postage the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, this brings to mind 
what will happen if your day 21 is a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday. So that's something to consider because you obviously will hopefully won't be posting it and letting it sit in the Australia Post box all weekend and it will be destroyed by heat. So fridge or freezer, depending on how many days it is until you're sending it and your practitioner will guide you more about those finer details, but storing it well and ideally posting it on a Monday so it gets straight to the lab or ASAP at least. Yeah. So I actually think we should have another discussion about the cortisol profiling yeah. and perhaps giving listeners a bit of insight there into what that profiling looks For like sure. and what they can do about it. So everybody take notes and send through questions, please, to us at The Natural Nutritionist. Um, but what are some of the common things that you're seeing when it comes to the sex hormone profiling? So looking at, um, you know, the estrogens, um, progesterone, testosterone, what are some of the, com- the common um common profiles that you're seeing yeah it's a good question um i'll break it down into individual hormones first knowing that there's always a dance yeah so we we aren't really talking about things in isolation because that's not possible in the human body but a really big one that i see is high estrogen so firstly it's important to remember that we've got three estrogens we've got estrone estradiol and estriol now they're often spoken about as e1 e2 and e3 and e2 is our most available active influential estrogen um, and that is the one that will be on the blood test if you have done that before whereas when you're doing it via a lab say through us here at tnn we're looking at all three estrogens um, often e2 is really elevated and that can come from a host of reasons the first that comes to mind for a lot of us is previous use of the oral contraceptive pill. And we're going to come back to that a little bit later on to explore that. Um, but the pill is obviously HRT. It's estrogen that you're adding in into hijack your menstrual cycle, essentially top level. But um, so then years for some people, decades for others of this synthetic estrogen is often going to be visible on a delivery hormone test. If you have been on the pill, we do always advise you to wait three months so that the test results aren't influenced by that pharmaceutical intervention. So that's something to consider. If you're, if you're, if you're coming off the pill or you're about to, absolutely wait three months and then do that testing to see where your body's at. Um, but high estrogen comes from other areas, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, we, we know there's lots of the xenoestrogens that we're exposed to like BHP. I was about to say BHP. Um, all the, ke- the chemicals and the plastics that we're exposed to, lots of soy, for example, um, toxins in the air that we breathe and the food that we eat, they are basicals parabens and SLSs in our body products and our beauty regime. Like, unfortunately, in this day and age, there are a lot that we're potentially exposed to and that completely um, change our reproductive hormones. And then on a salivary hormone test, we're measuring high estrogen. A typical symptom of that for a lot of people is fat loss resistance. And that's really important to acknowledge, you know, that estrogen is our female hormone. It's what is it's what distinguishes from a man and that kind of pear shape, that that um, storing of fat around the middle and lower part and cellulite as well is often a symptom picture of high estrogen, um, but there's a huge role of the liver there as well. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and I often find that elevated estrogen is then going to be compounded by low levels of progesterone. Yeah, 100%. So that's the seesaw. So there's so many examples of seesaws that we see in the human body. We speak about with the gut, you know, if there's an overgrowth of one bacteria, we often see an undergrowth of the other. Estrogen and progesterone are quite often that. Um, unfortunately, we see that seesaw. So if estrogen is high, we're seeing very low progesterone. In some people, low progesterone is what causes the really challenging mood issues that we see in week four. And I experience that myself on a fairly low level these days. Um, but if I don't treat that herbally, I don't feel myself in about week four of my cycle. And, um it's also an easy fix for me, which I'm lucky. It's not always the same for others. But as I mentioned earlier, if your estrogen is high and your progesterone is low, that can cause amenorrhea. It's also the infertility picture for a lot of people. Um, and many people that have been trying for many months to conceive naturally find out they've ha they have low progesterone and that needs to be fixed for that you know, that picture to be improved. Yeah. So maybe we should have a look at the foundations then of supporting mm. progesterone levels. So we know that obviously progesterone is going to be um, produced by the ovaries but also by the adrenal glands. Mm. So this is where, I guess, we come back to the cortisol yeah. profiling. This is where stress will impact um, progesterone levels. So I love to use vitamin C. As a, as a basic. So, of course, real food being taken care of. I love to use vitamin C to support here. Mm. Um, so a good quality vitamin C. Well, just on that, the reason why, obviously, is if there is that stress picture, we're overproducing cortisol, which requires a lot of vitamin C. So your usual dietary intake is not enough anymore. So remembering that we can get vitamin C from all of our obvious dark leafy greens, oranges, you know, there's so many examples, but it's about the the fact that that vitamin C is hijacked for the cortisol and it's not available as much to then balance out those female hormones. Um, so often supplements are required in this instance. Mm. Um, what else would you be using? Um, well, I think maca powder is a really great supplement that we can include. There are contraindications and, and it's probably too simple to say take maca powder because I think it does need to be um, looked at in the entire picture but some people find that's a really great way to naturally increase their progesterone um, and then of course magnesium powder yeah I was going to say magnesium mm. like um, I use magnesium quite a lot you know mm. because obviously because working with a lot of athletes um, in clinic magnesium is something that mm. most athletes are on daily um, but even just an expert an extra dose of magnesium or half dose of magnesium in the days leading into mm. the first day yeah. of the cycle can be a really nice way of helping to stem um, those typical PMS symptoms which may come about as a result of low the the proportionately low progesterone. A hundred percent. Like I've been doing this for a decade, I'm still amazed at how pivotal the changes are from a simple addition of magnesium oh, like it's so basic it's almost too good to be true yeah. if you haven't tried it do it let me tell you i know i seriously people almost don't believe you yeah, when yeah. you first tell them that let's just double dose or do a one and a half times dose of yeah. magnesium 
four days before day one. Um, but lo and behold, you meet them a month later and it's completely reversed their PMS yeah. symptoms. It's incredible. Mm. It shows you what our body needs at different times of the month. Like women have four seasons every month. So you can't actually eat the same and exercise the same and supplement the same all across the that month those four seasons Mm. so that's where understanding your hormones is so powerful because for one of a better description we're more male like in that first half so we can handle um probably like being a little bit more indulgent with our food we can handle high intensity exercise we might not need as much magnesium and the natural opposite is true in the luteal phase we're suited to um, maybe fine-tuning our eating a little bit more, lower-intensity exercise like yoga or walking, and we need more nutrients to support our hormones. Yeah. Um, and like you said before with regards to vitamin C is that, you know, if we've got a, a beautiful real food template, we should be getting adequate amounts of vitamin C through our broccoli, our capsicum, our vegetables, our, our berries, um, and our, you know, our lemons and our oranges. Mm. Um, but we need more during times of stress. With magnesium, you know, we obviously can benefit from having a little bit more in that second half of the cycle. But, you know, really we should be getting this from our fruit. food. We should be getting it from, you know, our nuts and our seeds and, and our cacao. But due to soil depletion, mm. um, due to increasing amounts of packaged and processed foods, we just aren't getting as much through our diet these days as essentially we once were. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's the reality, like, I would obviously rather that we get it through food, but there's also a reason why you're feeling the way you're feeling. Yeah, those symptoms are exactly that. They're a symptom of a root cause. And, you know, at the moment, let's say if you have got a lot of stress going on, then clearly the supplements that you're prescribed are relative to that world. And that might not be the case when you address some of the other foundations that we take you through. Um, But I think it's such a small intervention for such great benefit when you're looking down the barrel of being told to go on the pill if you were in a Western medical environment for treating some of those symptoms, which we obviously want to avoid. Yeah, yeah. Um, But can we go back to the liver? Because when you talk about those vitamin C-rich veggies, I think a lot about the cruciferous vegetables, so our faves, our broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts, and these are all really great liver foods. So in a picture of high estrogen, we need to work on the liver to clear that excess hormone. So the liver loves cruciferous vegetables. It's going to support phase one and phase two detoxification and especially for phase two to really allow us to get the hormones out of the body via the stool usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the sulfur within these vegetables mm. that are going to help that, that liver. Um, and interestingly, for the, for the benefits of that sulfur contained within these vegetables, you want to have them cooked minimally. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you don't want Nana's broccoli that's been boiled for 20 minutes and left on the stove. I broccoli sometimes. (laughs) Oh, that'd be so harsh. (laughs) Um, but you know, this is not necessarily when you want the, the mashed broccoli or the mashed cauliflower. This is when you want the very lightly steamed version Mm. of. Very true. Very true. Your raw cauliflower rice and let the curry do the cooking or the satay do the cooking, which is what we usually do. Yeah. Um, But blood sugar control is obviously really huge here as well. I don't want to forget that. It's quite simple to say, oh, yeah, real food. But the one of the huge benefits there, as we always talk about, is what that does to your blood sugar control. This is huge for balancing your hormones. Mm-hmm. I hope that's obvious. But we can't then... Uh, 
um, forget the impact of carbohydrates and sugars and stress, which are the enemy to blood sugar controls. We've got to be looking at what we're eating. So we know a diet low in refined carbohydrates is 101 for balancing our hormones. And then, of course, we know that our hormones are built on fats and protein. So we need those beautiful building blocks. So I've said it before and I'll say it again, but unfortunately we're seeing a lot of these hormonal dysregulation off the back of low-fat calorie counting weight watchers Jenny Craig. We're not eating enough protein and fat and our hormones are going crazy as a result. It's so basic that we need to have these beautiful building blocks. So make sure you deal with your fat phobia and eat quality protein. And especially if if you're not getting blood sugar control, Add more of our proteins and fats because, of course, they're our satiety macros. Yeah. And, you know, people may have heard a bit about your story. I don't know how much people have heard about my story, Mm. but both you and I come from a background Mm. of, um, you know, learning and studying nutrition many, many years ago when it was still very much a a low-fat, low-calorie model. And both of us struggled so greatly with our hormones Mm. Um, and, You know, for me personally, it wasn't until I got my gut sorted and it wasn't until I started eating good quality fats that I finally started to get a regular period for the first time in my life. Yeah, and it's not an uncommon story. Mm. Like I often think, I mean, I I do think I live by the mantra that we're here to teach what we most need to learn ourselves. So all of our sort of personal struggles, um, I find really powerful to be able to relate to my clients and and to share that story with you guys tuning in because... um, I don't know, there's this sort of, I don't want to say it, but there's almost like this Jesus complex that I keep wanting to break down. Like we have our own health issues, gut imbalances. We try to take saliva samples in meetings at work. Like we're just human, yeah? And I love that because I love to better relate to my clients on that human level without being just clinical and sometimes being treated like a number, which we often feel like in the West, which is very well, the way that I think of it is, is just that I would love to be able to fast track somebody's progress in a way that I wasn't able to because I didn't have the information available to me. So that's why I do what I do is because I want to help someone get from you know a state of amenorrhea or hormonal dysfunction to a state of having a regular cycle and potentially being able to conceive when they want to, you know, in the space of six months rather than the space of six years. Yeah, I love that. So I just want to go back to the liver because we mentioned the cruciferous vegetables. There's obviously more that we need to do so we're cutting out plastics um we're using keep cups or taking that offensive lid off your coffee cup at a very minimum but we all know how bad they are for the environment so please buy a keep cup or buy two keep one at work one in the car um what else are we doing i love to prescribe like a liver tea like a milk thistle or a known as silymarin which is a herb not a dairy product fyi um herbal teas to help support the liver can be really beautiful Um, we're changing over our beauty regime or what we're putting on our skin to be Mm. low tox or no tox for want of a better description um we're thinking about how much water we're Mm -hmm. drinking alcohol yeah the alcohol (laughs) that we're consuming so you know two liters of water a day not your one liter of Mm -hmm. water per day yes um you know five alcohol free days per week as opposed to five alcohol consuming days per week no one likes to hear that though let me tell you well Mm. exactly um moderating your weight or managing Mm. your weight um Mm. so avoiding excess fat around Mm. the liver and from and and getting in the way of doing its job and of course our stress management so go to yoga (laughs) (laughs) life-changing yeah i mean it's not it's not it's one of those sort of simple but not easy. Like it obviously is going to take time, especially that 
hormonal imbalance is longstanding. But nothing of what we told you is is too hard. Yeah, I hope you see that it's you can simply start to you know add some more broccoli in, you know, go to yoga, as I mentioned, make some gradual changes with what goes on your skin. Remember, Rome wasn't built in a day. We're not saying do it all now. Drink more water, just add on. And they're huge basics, but great for hormonal balancing, but great for your overall overall health as well. Yeah, precisely. And, and like you just said, Steph, the basics. Mm-hmm. And um, with the benefit of doing hormonal profiling, it means that we can, you know, prioritize those basics, mm-hmm. basically, um, and then pepper on top of that the additions that might be required. So whether that is, um, uh, you know, upping the dose of supplements mm. or bringing in other supplements or even herbs if required. Yeah, and that's something we want you to do with your practitioner, obviously. I often use herbs to support the liver, um, whether that's through teas or um, the diet or a particular supplement, um, but there's sort of too much self-prescription in that space at these at this point in time. Mm. Um, if your friend is using DIM and getting a result, that doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. So at least work with someone who understands hormones, um, do your test and, you know, take the right thing if there is a supplement that's required on top of all those basics. Definitely. There is nothing worse than spending your money on a broad range of supplements that are potentially not even of high enough quality or um, dose to have a therapeutic mm. benefit to you, the individual. So work mm. with a practitioner so you can prioritize that supplement list and make sure you're getting the one that's going to have the biggest um, benefit to you and your profile. Totally. The, the whole greenwashing thing applies here. Like brands are clever, yeah? They need your money. So they'll put this drop of an ingredient in there and then label it as being good for your liver. But the dose is so important. The dose needs to be therapeutic to create the desired effect. So we've got to be savvy. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. We were talking about different hormone profiles. Um, So you've talked about the elevated estrogen, Mm. um, often that seesaw effect um, that comes along with it. So the comparatively low levels of progesterone um, I think that often what comes along with that um, is elevated levels of testosterone. Always. <laughs> well, let's say nine times out of ten. I don't yeah. like to be too extreme. Yeah, and testosterone is obviously known as that male hormone, so some people are quite surprised to know that they have testosterone. They yeah, well, yeah. So breaking down that myth can be really interesting as well. Um and then again, we looked at the liver and the whole stress picture as well. I think that's always going to be part of it. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's really coming back to understanding that beautiful dance that we need to have, um, that we need to understand and to acknowledge that testosterone can also start to look like um, whether it's acne or um, hair growing hair in unusual paces, that real, nipples. yeah, androgen excess. Um, for some people, it impacts their weight. Um, PCOS, of course, so polycystic mm-hmm. ovarian syndrome. Um, so you're really important to identify. Yeah. And again, why the, com- the combined testing of reproductive hormones and, um, and stress hormones is really important so you can understand whether it's elevated DHGAS, elevated cortisol, which is contributing to elevated testosterone levels. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. And it also brings to mind um, why doing this sort of test with maybe some blood tests at the same time could be really helpful because mm-hmm. one of the things that we could see with um, 
the elevated testosterone is low thyroid function. So just as a side note, unfortunately, if we go to see a doctor and, and quote-unquote test our thyroid and they measure TSH, which is actually a pituitary hormone in the brain, it does nothing to um, diagnose what is low or high thyroid. So we have to be asking for, at a very minimum, TSH, free T3 and free T4. And I like to always do reverse T3 and antibodies. So I've got the full picture of what the thyroid's doing. And in this instant, instance, is it causing or is it part of that um, high testosterone picture? Mm. Now, for those of you who've listened to this and just jotted down those hormones and thought, right, I'm going to my doctor to ask <laughs> TSH, T3, T4, RT3 and <laughs> antibodies. Um, you know, these aren't tests that a doctor will necessarily um necessarily order straight off the bat so if you walk into the clinic and and say to your doctor you know my menstrual cycle is a little bit out and i feel like my pms symptoms have been worsening um they're not necessarily going to say sure we will get that full thyroid panel done for you um now why is that is because they're not necessarily going to look at the body holistically so um, that's why it is going to be helpful to work with a holistic practitioner who can word you up for that so that when you do see your doctor to request blood tests, you've got something to substantiate the request for those tests um, or even better, you've got a letter from your practitioner to, to provide that evidence for why the tests being requested. And that's if you're going through the, the, the general practitioner. You can always pay for these tests out of pocket, but obviously the preferred is to try and get them done um, through your GP and covered by Medicare. I think it's a really important conversation because it can be so hard for some people. And a lot of it is the reality of the healthcare system in Australia. You know, Medicare have their rules around what we can get tested and how many times a year, and it's usually no more than one. Um, and the doctor needs a reason that they believe is strong enough to ask Medicare to approve that test. So you can't go in with a letter and say, oh, hey, can I have FT3 and etc." It's about... Um, them seeing the true cause for yeah. that test. So share them with your story, share your story with them and help them understand why you're wanting to see the results or to explore your thyroid more. Um, but it can be really helpful to know that TSH is just not enough. So try to encourage that full picture. So the entire, like the full thyroid panel, it would be called. Um, and if not, and hopefully you'll be working with a practitioner by now, we can explore like what your budget for testing is and put it into a timeline of potentially looking at that thyroid through a lab-like naturopath, um, which you'll be familiar with because that's who we do our saliva mm. hormone testing with as well. Mm. Let's have a look at timelines. Mm. So, um, People can understand, you know, if they are experiencing hormonal imbalance at the moment, whether they've, you know, picked up from those signs and symptoms, you know, irregular cycle, PMS, gaining weight, um, blood sugar irregularity or, um, or cravings and signs of. What does the timeline look like? You know, should people go away and speak to their doctor right now? Um, or go away and organise their own salivary profiling? Mm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this is, again, something I want to break down a little bit more because um, you might have low signs and symptoms, but we still need to work out if this is the best first test for you. So if you just go and spend a, maybe $150, $160 on this test um, without speaking to a practitioner, it might not be give you the results that you're hoping for or create the desired sort of treatment 
plan or protocol. So what I would much prefer is that you find your person, so your nutritionist, um, to guide you through this process. In an ideal world, you'll start with an initial consultation. So we can talk about your exact goals, your medical history, your symptoms, all the day-to-day parameters that are relevant to your world, and then discuss the basics. I think it's really important that you do all of those first. Like I mentioned, the simple addition or doubling up of magnesium can create such a powerful change that doing those basics first is could even save you money down the line. You might even decide, no, I feel so incredible. I'm not testing my hormones, and that's my wish for you. Couldn't agree more. So you start with those foundations. Maybe you, you, you have that initial consultation um, and get your plan and start to implement the basics, you know, based on what you weren't doing and then have that conversation around testing with myself or Ellie. So is this the right test for me? And we talk a lot about the gut, but we know that there's such a huge, um, the, the hormonal imbalances are the symptom of the dysbiosis often. So we might, depending on what your other symptoms are, we may actually encourage um, microbiome testing first. Mm. I spat that one out, didn't I? <laughs> I felt that, everybody. <laughs> so when, when would you use hormonal profiling prior to microbiome testing or gut microbiome testing? Mm. Are there scenarios? It really depends on how much the person has done on their gut already. Like we know there are the basics with the real food, there's stress management, there's prebiotics, there's healing and selling the gut, there's probiotics. Like I get a lot of people that are doing all of it or they feel like they are. Mm. Um, I don't know. I still think I test their gut. <laughs> <laughs> so you've done a gut I'll test. Do. Yeah, yeah, you tell me. <laughs> um, for me, it would be anybody who's been having trouble conceiving. Yes. So perhaps mm-hmm. been trying for the six months and mm-hmm. we really want to get a good picture of, you know, what their progesterone levels are looking like mm-hmm. at day 21 of the cycle. So for, for me, sure. that's a really important time mm-hmm. to do the hormone profiling. Um, it's for, um, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Definitely for those who've done a lot of work on their gut. Yeah. Um, but also compliance. So, mm. you know, I can sit there in clinic and have a discussion with somebody about the importance of their stress management practices, for example, or try and try and try mm. to someone to try and get someone to, to, to do their yoga or to do their, their meditation practice. Um, so sometimes it actually requires seeing numbers on a piece mm. of paper, seeing where you sit in regards to a, a scale or a reference panel to actually feed the compliance, which will therefore help to affect change. So that's another scenario in which I do the hormone profiling. Yeah, it's I that, love that actually mm. seeing on a piece of paper, where am I? Because it all depends on our motivation. It. Like mm. if you're motivated by data, pay for the yeah, bloody test, the test, you know, because that is that's probably going to be the way that you'll finally remove all those roadblocks to doing the things that you were told a few months ago, you know. And um, there's so much power in data. We speak about that all the time. Like I don't want you to be guessing on your health. But I love the conversation around the conception because it reminds me of a conversation I've had this week. Okay, so you don't have a period. Here is Clomid. Here is a progesterone hormone of choice um, and good luck. What? Mm. 
like why aren't we actually having a look at what's going, going on, on with that person? Like this poor female wants to have a baby and doesn't have a period and is basically being treated like a number and given a couple of pharmaceuticals to bring on her period. Yeah. Like I just think that that breaks my heart and there's no even like conversation around let's look at why you don't have a period yeah. Yeah. and yeah. let's do some testing. And so I'm really passionate about this topic because it can – the irony of all of that is how much stress it creates, which is the number one barrier to fertility and conception. Um, and you, you don't you don't have the support that you need for that time in your life. And it's so important to find your person or your people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even worse than that, when somebody's not trying to conceive mm-hmm. and they've gotten a regular cycle and a told, we'll just take the pill. Yes. You know, deal with it when you need to, which is exactly what happened to me with, you know, an irregular menstrual cycle for most of my twenties. Um, take the pill and this comes back around to the conversation of why we need to be cautious Mm. of the oral contraceptive pill because it essentially will mask your own um your own hormone production and what your body's doing and therefore get in the way of you being able to normalize and balance things totally it's just a band-aid the side effects can be horrific for some people the long-term effects of nutrient depletion is going to completely destroy your health and interfere with your um, family planning plan if, if that's obviously one of your goals but we've got to think about yeah it's it's all about looking for the root cause so not relying on a pharmaceutical to mask your symptoms which unfortunately is what happens to too many people the other thing with the pill as i sort of mentioned earlier is you, you you're going to get high estrogen on a salivary hormone test so, yes, you can do all the basics, but a lot of those additional interventions like herbs or supplements, you actually can't take because there are contraindications of decreasing the effectiveness of the pill. So, unless you're willing to also include barrier methods of contraception, you might feel like you actually get these results, but there's not a lot that you can do to impact them because you're still taking a pill, so you're still going to have high estrogen. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, it totally does. Mm. So coming back around to timelining or planning, mm. ideally what you're saying is come in and speak with your practitioner. It might be us, it might be somebody else, but speak with your practitioner so you can understand specifically to you and your situation you know, whether you're getting the basics right, whether there's areas within that that still need working on which could potentially make the difference between, you know, your current situation and, you know, normal, a normal hormone balance. Um, and, if, and if there's not that, that obvious change that can be made to your foundation, then determine what is the best test, where is your money best going to be spent um, so that you can get the best data mm. which will then feed the best treatment protocol. Yeah, 100%. And then the testing can take place depending on, you know, where the stars align around day 21. Mm -hmm. But you're working on those basics. And then if you are going to do the testing at your next appointment is when you're sort of reviewing those results and adding on. So I think that can be really helpful for some people to have already been working on the basics and creating new behaviours, which it has a lot to do with, rather than trying to do everything which comes back from that test in that first appointment. I try to break things down into chunks. We all learn better that way. 
but also because we are creating long-term sustainable behavioural change. Yeah, exactly. Normalising your hormones is not about one month, one month of intervention and away mm. you go or um, forget about it. It's actually about setting in foundations that are going to allow your body to naturally produce the right amount of hormones mm. for the rest of your life. Yeah, totally, mm. which, is, which is huge. It's, it's absolutely, absolutely everything. It's how you're going to thrive. Yeah. And there's a huge piece of longevity involved in that as always. hundred percent. You know, mm. our hormones, our reproductive cycle for, for females, mm. um, you know, is a huge barometer to our, barometer mm. to our overall health. And mm. I had a client the other week who um, was, was, was talking, we, we were having a discussion around her cycle um, and the fact that her period had gone missing for a number of months. And, um, you know, she was initially a little bit, um, flippant about it you know I don't, want to have, yeah, I don't want to have children so I'm not really fussed mm. about whether or not I've got my period but then I said well it actually is more than that it's actually mm. an indication that there is some dysfunction under the hood we want to understand what that mm. is in, and get to the root cause of it so we avoid things like you know you know, poor bone mineral density yes, and, and potentially, yeah, yeah, and potentially mm. other conditions Cancer. That could be associated. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so that's bring, that brings to mind, sorry, <laughs> I'm really excited about this. Clearly <laughs> I have to cut you off. But, um, yes, because it brings to mind the conversation around how women in the Western world are getting rid of their period because it's inconvenient, mm. so skipping their sugar pills in this instance, um, and it's being celebrated because, oh, isn't it great not to have a period? Yeah. That is ridiculous. That is a, a recipe for disaster, and we know that there's going to be the risk of osteoporosis and cancer. It's in like mainstream papers and being celebrated. Like, it, that's horrific. We've mm. got to celebrate a healthy cycle and stop all the shame around it. Oh. And if it's inconvenient to you, it's telling you something's wrong. Like your period shouldn't be the fetal position. It shouldn't be hot water bottles. Yes, you can change your world a little bit, like I mentioned what you eat and how you exercise, but it shouldn't derail your your day or your your week or your month. Absolutely not. Like ideally your period should come and you should not even know that it was coming yeah unless you look at the calendar and you can tell what day of the month it is that should be yeah or like some symptoms like for me i know when my ovulation and then i I understand how many days later my period is going to arrive yeah but it shouldn't be mm. um i I, yeah i'm on the couch in the fetal position or Mm. i've had to take a day off work three days before my period comes or two Mm. days before my period comes it shouldn't be i've had to take five neurofens (laughs) Or I've got a migraine. Yeah, I've got a migraine or I've eaten a block of chocolate the day before and that tells me that my period is coming. Shouldn't be those signs. Yeah. And then in that whole fertility picture, like I haven't shared it with you you guys yet, but I got my period back um, three months after Grace was born and I'm not, I'm not sort of, I don't know how to phrase it exactly, but for me it was a really important sign that I was rebalancing my hormones. For many women, women, it can take up to a year, but often I think that's data of people that aren't aware of what to do to rebalance their hormones, especially when you are breastfeeding, which is a very taxing time of your life and you need extra nutrients and support and to, to have a plan around how you're going to achieve that. And um, naturally, since I've um, you know conceived and been pregnant and had a baby, I'm attracting a lot more of that audience. And I'm sharing this because I want you to understand that it is possible and it completely changes how you feel when your hormones are back online you're a much happier person and that for me is is as clear as day um and when you're looking after yourself you can look after your little one to the best of the ability you know you can't pour from an empty cup 
So three months I think is achievable. I know it's achievable. Um, and if you're noticing hormonal imbalance on the other side of having a baby, do something about it. Get some support. Mm, yeah. And, and similarly, for somebody that hasn't had a baby, mm. if you're noticing hormonal imbalance in any way, do something about it. Get some support. Um, and, yeah, don't wish away that cycle every month and be excited if it doesn't come. Um, be excited when it does come. Yeah. I, I had, a, like, amenorrhea or a regular period for, eight, like, probably, what, 12, 10 years of my life. I can tell you when my period comes now, I almost do a little happy dance. It's a party. It's a period party. I I have lost count of the number of text messages I have received over the years (laughs) where their clients kind of like, oh, is this TMI? My period arrived. And I'm like, no, like all the emojis that I can imagine, like that's bloody exciting. Like that, again, it's a report card. It's a huge indication of your internal health. And yeah, I feel completely unstable if my hormones are in balance. And that's why I worked pretty hard after grace to rebalance because i noticed the obvious crash like i felt incredible during pregnancy i've never felt better and then there was this distinct off the cliff moment where i was like okay i've got i've got work to do um because it affects all facets of your world Mm. a lot to look forward to yeah Mm. awesome discussion yeah is there anything else that you wanted to talk on no it's more about the personalization of it because you know this is obviously a podcast and some of the information is general and there are going to be components that I know you can relate to your world, but know that it's about getting personalized support. I think um, please reach out to us if you have any questions, which you can submit by the website or DM us if you need. (laughs) Um, But on that note, if you are going to be direct messaging us on Instagram, please understand that we can't give the best advice without understanding your world. So your medical history, your goals, what I mentioned before about exactly what we do in an initial consultation. So we are happy to help, but we want to help you to the best of our ability. So please do reach out to us at The Natural Nutritionist and we can do that. Yeah. I like to think of what we do as a little bit of personal detective work. Yeah. Detective work requires consultation and conversations, but that's why it is really hard to determine the best course of action via a few direct messages. So, yeah, go to thenaturalnutritionist.com.au, reach out to us via that channel, um, and then we can figure out the best plan of attack for you and your hormone balance. For sure. Thank you, Steph. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Reel. The 2019 Wellness Summit is almost here. I love being at these events. They're always such a great positive environment. It's been really great to um, listen to like-minded people and to um, meet a few people actually. I've been to every summit and I've been to every one and I'll always keep coming. It's always inspiring. It's been a real eye-opener. We're actually signed up to go to the breakthrough now. It's very motivating. I think it's great to listen to people who are inspired. And there's always something to learn and something to take away. I think uh, for myself and giving myself that um, opportunity to to learn. There's so much going on in life and everything that you can get distracted and forget the things that you should be doing. And this always 
reminds you to get back on track and, and um, to focus on the things that are important, a holistic health. Just do it, yeah, just yeah, suck it up and do it. It's, uh, it could be life-changing, yeah. I would say it's awesome and it's the start of changing your life. Come along, see what it's about and enjoy it. It's an amazing event with like-minded, positive people and you can't help but um, walk away feeling great. Positive Mentor presents the 2019 Wellness Summit, August 17 and 18 in Melbourne. Can you afford to miss out? Tickets at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.